0: You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. It's been an amazing journey, actually, as your EM pastor. I'm going that far back. Because when I first started, actually, I had the wonderful joy of leading you through the book of Luke for nearly two years. Do you guys remember that? It was two years of your life. Okay, you guys remember that, right? And then after that, we had the book of Acts, which was a year and a half. And then we had the book of Nehemiah for about six months, actually exactly six months, half a year. And here we are now in the book of James. It's been exactly three months and one week. Three months and one week, and you guys are here. And um, I'm proud of you guys for sticking through. And I want you guys to know this, man, this, these sermons and, and my time preparing for it has Tremendously helped me in my own personal spiritual life, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And I hope that it has helped you, too, in many ways. Uh, if you want to go back and just kind of study a little bit more, we have it all, most of it, I think, online, shiningstar.life. And yes, you'll hear me say that every so often because I want you guys to know that we have a website. So check it out. Um, we have cool pictures, some media stuff. We have our, of course, um, the uh, the link. We'll have a link to the uh, to the uh, missions or global relief. And then, uh, of course, you can always hear some sermons, okay? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting how we've begun today on such a note, talking about the refugees and things like that, because today's lesson really has much to do with last week's word about, you know, if you really say you care for people, then do something about it, right? If you say you love Christ, then prove it. Show people that you, in fact, are on his side, that you believe in what he stands for, what he's been preaching and teaching all along. And so it has much to do with last week's word, and which is also one of the themes of the entire book of James. Just essentially prove it. Where is the evidence of your faith? This idea that we should hate hypocrisy, that we should despise cheap words and empty words. And if we truly, truly say what we say we are as Christians, then there's needs, there needs to be proof. Proof in action, proof in love. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Let's prove that Christ is in me. Now, in this chapter, James is about to go into the famous taming the tongue discourse. You've heard that, right? Right? You've heard of that. But before he gets into that and before we get into that next week, he addresses a particular group, the teachers. The teachers. Now, you can see that our EM sermon is titled, Those Who Can't Do... Teach? Have you heard that before? You've heard of that. You probably said that before, especially towards a teacher you hated, right? It's it's a popular saying implying that people who can do something well will do that for a living because they can do it, while people who are not able to do anything that well will make a living as a teacher. We of course know that it's not always the truth, but it's clearly a common truth enough that James makes a point about it. Now. Here's the context, okay? I want you guys to understand the background behind this entire thing. When James is talking to this group of people, these teachers, there's been a growing number of Jewish converts or Christian converts who were Jewish background, in other words, Jewish Christians. And back then, man, there was a lot of hoopla about being able to teach and preach in front of people. In fact, teaching was a highly reputable position, kind of like, kind of like being a rabbi back then or in today's case being a professor. Highly respected, right? To be a professor is amazing. Now, before we start blowing this point off, simply because we're not actual teachers or professors, the Greek word that's used here actually is pointing more towards the unofficial teaching. Hence, these people here who have no teaching background but have become recent converts are now saying, you know what, I want to teach. So James is addressing these guys. In other words, people like you and me. People like you and me who... Want to teach or want to say something because we got something to say. People like you and me, perhaps because we'll look better in the eyes of others or something like that. So, this point isn't just directed towards people like me as a pastor or our church staff, or in fact, it's not even directed to Sunday school teachers or life group leaders. This point is directed towards anyone who thinks that they have something to say. Okay? This is directed towards someone who thinks they have a lesson to give, a word of wisdom to impart, some instruction to advise someone with. In other words, this applies to parents who have children. This applies to husbands who lead their wives. This applies to siblings who have younger siblings. This applies to friends who have friends or anyone who tells people what to do, whether you're an employer or an employee. The point is, this is for all of us, okay? Okay. All of us. Because we're all teachers, because we all have some influence, for better or for worse, on those around us. Point to, or not point to your neighbor. Look to your neighbor and say, you're leading someone, whether you know it or not. Is that scary? Is this scary knowing that you are teaching someone, whether you know it or not? You are. And this is our first point. God judges those who teach. He judges those who teach. To all who teach in whatever capacity, God is saying, my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. He's saying, I'm judging you. And as scary as that might be, it holds greater weight on me, specifically as a pastor, instructor, because with increased influences means increased responsibility. On every level, the truth of the gospel of Christ must be heard. It has to be. With greater opportunities that appear in your life, God will demand greater responsibility. It sounds very Spider-Man-esque, right? With great power comes great responsibility. As you grow older, you'll have more people under you. And comes great responsibility. You see, whenever I speak with single guys, it's pretty chill. Right, single guys? We're cool, you and I, <laughs> even though the way I phrased it did not sound cool at all. But we're cool. Like, there's definitely a whole lot of grace because we all make mistakes. And, and if the single guy makes a mistake, I'm like, I slap him on the head. I'm like, yeah, whatever, it's all good. You know, just stop. Just stop that. Like, we're good though. But once my guys get engaged or get into a committed relationship, whether they're courting or they get married, man, I'm on them like white on rice. Because now, guess what? They've got a wife to take care of. Now guess what? They got got kids coming along the way. They have greater spiritual responsibilities to deal with. This is not some joke anymore. Jesus says that when we stand before him in his judgment seat, we will have to give an account for every idle word we have spoken. You see, with greater opportunities come greater responsibilities. How are you doing with it? This means that the severity of God's judgment will be on those who actively and intentionally Craft words, create words, instruct, or whatever, say things to influence others to follow what they said. So that means, husbands, be careful what you say to your kids and to your wives, no matter how heated the circumstances might be. Be careful. This means, mothers, be careful what you say to your children when your patience is wearing thin. You got to be careful. How many times have you said something that you wish you could have taken back? Absolutely all of us. This means that we have to, people have to be careful what you say to anyone, especially when you're not clear-minded. God will judge those who teach, those who hold influence. Everyone ultimately, as we all know, is responsible for their own actions. But when a person of influence says something to a person who looks up to them, especially if it's leading them astray or it's false, serious damage can be done, people. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. You need to think about this for a moment, okay? Ask yourself this. Who listens to you? Who in your life listens to you? When they think of you, they think, oh, that is like my older brother, or that is like my mentor, or that is my leader, or that is my instructor, that's my teacher, that's my boss, that's someone who I can truly respect and admire. That's my older sister. She is like a mother figure. She is like a father figure to me. Do you have that person? You all do. I know you do. You all have that person who looks up to you. Who looks up to you? It could be anyone. It could be a coworker who enjoys going out with you to happy hour. It could be a gym buddy who asks for advice on how to work out. So he's, he's all ears. And when you're telling him, oh, yeah, you got to lift up this way and do it this way or do it whatever. It can even be a worker at a convenience store who simply admires every time you walk in and the way that you carry yourself and the car that you drive and the purse that you hold and the wall that you have and the amount of cash that you have. You have some sort of influence upon every single person. God will also judge pastors, me, who have a flock. He'll judge me, judge us based on the content of our words and character. He's going to ask, are people coming to our church because it's entertaining, those groundbreaking technology and strobe lights and this clubbing-like features and stuff like that? Or are they coming because the whole counsel of God is being preached? Am I leading you guys into eternal presence of our God or am I leading you into eternal condemnation? You know why I like Tim Tebow despite the fact that he just got cut yesterday from third string from the Philadelphia Eagles? It's because he knows he has an audience and that the crowd is impressionable. So, what does he do? He glorifies God with every tweet, with every Instagram, with every interview, with every opportunity, and he backs it up with what he says with his life. I've heard Christians say that they'd wish that he'd just stop. It's annoying. You know, the T bow, or T boat, I don't know what it's called, right? And he's always sprouting out like, speaking out like verses and saying, you know, God is good all the time and things like that. and a lot of Christians even say, man, I just wish he'd stop. And I'd say, why? His words aren't contrary to his lifestyle. He's not hooking up with girls. He's not getting caught on TMZ getting wasted at a bar. He's not getting to fist fights with teammates or in some shouting match with someone who disagrees with him. He's not doing any of that. But then there's some other celebrities who profess to be Christians, like a lot of mainstream rappers, and many athletes, too, who will say that they're Christians, but every word they spew out is negative, it is anti-biblical, it is sexist, it is blasphemous, and they have like over a million Twitter followers. Like, what's up with that? Every word they say as someone who has any influence will be held accountable. Every word that we say to the people that look up to us and listen to us, every word we say will be held accountable. We have to know that. And this goes into our second point. Because God judges teachers so severely, he says to some, avoid teaching. Now, this is not good for me to say, especially as Pastor Esther said, hey, we need more teachers. <laughs> now, I've, trust me, I've mulled over this point for a long time because I want to be sensitive and careful on how I say this because there will be people who will say, well, fine. If God is going to judge me harsher, then why in the world would I ever put myself into that situation where I'm going to be held at a higher level? Why would anyone want to teach? Well, before I get into that, let me make a few remarks on why one shouldn't teach. Remember, the people here that James was addressing were a bunch of wannabe rabbis. They are a bunch of wannabe teachers and professors. They want to teach and be held highly by other people. This is why you shouldn't teach. You should not teach if you want to look good in front of other people. Okay? That's the lesson here. Do you know why more people want to teach and lead adult or at least upper high school level Bible classes and children's ministry? Because when you teach adults, you impress your peers. You impress your peers. When you teach kids, you just give your life away. Week after week, you just give your life away. It's the same reason why it's easier to get people to lead discussion groups with fellow adults or take on more of a public leadership position than asking them to clean up the building or set up the chairs or pick up the trash. If you want to be heard, James is saying here, then you shouldn't teach. If you want to impress people, then you should not teach. If if you're desperate for followers and for people to look up to you and be like, oh, wow, you're so amazing. I wish I could be like you. If you want respect, you are so just hungry for respect, then you should not teach. Amen? Is that encouraging? Yes, I hope so. But that goes to our third point also. If you do teach, Okay, if you do teach, teach with diligence. Now, in what circumstance will you find yourself forced to teach? Some of you guys are thinking, Pastor David, I'm quitting right now. Not so fast, people. Okay? In what circumstance will you find yourself forced to teach? Jeremiah, prophet, you're sick and tired of preaching. Can you believe that a prophet was sick and tired of of relaying the words of God to people? Why? Because people didn't like him. They they didn't like him. They mocked him. They insulted him. In fact, when he was in Israel, they gave him a really hard time. So Jeremiah said, you know what? Forget this and forget you all. I'm tired of this. I'm not going to mention God or speak his name anymore. In other words, Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, I quit. I can't deal with this anymore. But here's the thing. Sometimes God's got different plans. Have you ever noticed that when you want to stop, you want to quit ministry, you want to quit teaching Bible study or quit being a counselor or doing whatever, you have annoying people like me who will say, don't stop. Right? Have you, I've had many conversations with people. say, like, Pastor David, are you, are you here? It's like, come in. And they'll sit down and they'll say, Pastor David, it's just been really difficult. And they'll give me like a million and one reasons why, you know, to their like Xbox blowing up to this or whatever. I just can't do this anymore. And, but here's the thing. I know that in their lives, and I can see it. And I can, and I can affirm that they, in fact, do have a potential and that they have a gifting, that they have the humility to teach. And I'll say, don't stop teaching. And then there are other people who's like, Pastor David, are you there? They'll come inside and they'll say, Pastor, I can't teach. I'm like, Yeah, maybe you shouldn't teach. <laughs> They're like, uh what? Yeah, maybe you should maybe maybe you should do something else, you know? And so just kind of shocked. This was this was Jeremiah's experience. He said, I wanna quit. I wanna quit. After trying to quit for a while, he finally surrendered to God. And you know what he said? He said these beautiful words. He said, the word of God is in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah 29. And so I know there are teachers here, many of you guys here. The word of God is burning inside you. And you want to teach it. You want to speak it. You want to preach it. Do all you can, not for your glory, but for the glory of God. And there are times when you will get burnt out because people like, they, like how they react with Jeremiah. They might not like you for whatever reason, for that season in your life. They may say negative things about you. You may have, you may have messed up that one time, and, and it will just really affect these people. And they'll say, ah, I don't want you here. And so you'll come all discouraged, and you'll say, I can't do this anymore. I cannot mention the name of God anymore, but you know what? That burning passion of the Word of God is in you. And He says, do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Do not contain it. If God calls you to teach in any level, don't avoid it. Don't avoid it. Because avoiding it will be straight up rebellion and disobedience. Instead, If you have the opportunity to teach and it is being affirmed by your leaders and by people around you, then teach, but teach with diligence. Teach well. What does teaching with diligence mean then? Again, this doesn't just apply to Sunday school teachers or anyone who's an instructor, but anyone who's leading anyone, and we all know that we're all leading someone. Teaching with diligence means taking time to teach the truth of God's word. Not from the word of David or the word of so-and-so, but the word of God. Paul, he rebuked the teachers who opposed Timothy because, because they were trying to teach, but they didn't know what in the world they were talking about. In the same vein, Jesus, Jesus condemns the Pharisees, calling them, you are blind leaders leading the blind. Whoever you're teaching and whoever is following you, giving instructions on how to live morally or how to do this or how to do that or avoid that based on your own personal experience, that might be good and all. But if the content of your conversation only consists of feel-good advice and 10 steps to becoming a better you, then you are a blind leader leading the blind. So in order to teach well, you must be diligent by equipping yourself with not your version of truth, but with God's truth. That is being diligent as a teacher. That means being diligent as a parent. That means being diligent as a husband who leads a family, or as a person who has friends who, who look up to them and listen to them. This means that you need to know God's word. This means you must prepare more than. This means that you need to pray more then. This means that you need to study the word of God more, that you must fast more, that you must be on your knees more. If you think about we're all influencing someone, but are you teaching them the ways of God or are you teaching them the ways of the world? Are you influencing your friends towards friendship with God or just friendship with you? Are you instructing your kids to love God with all their heart? or to just love you. Our last point is this. Because God judges the teachers, we must also learn to listen to our teachers. A person who is unwilling to listen to a teacher is someone who cannot and should not lead anyone else. Everyone wants to lead someone. You may not think so, but you love having that person in your life who always agrees with you, don't you? We all have that friend. I know you do. Right? Right? Like, if you're a guy and you, have that and you did something really stupid, your guy from like, no, dude, it's all right. It's cool. You, you can go ahead and gain like 50 pounds and go and try on an outfit that's way too, too skimpy and tell your friend, do I look And she'll, oh, you look amazing. We all love having that person who will just agree with us. So, if you want to continue to lead people and teach people and influence people, ask yourself this question Am I willing to be led? Am I willing to submit? Am I willing to surrender and follow? Am I willing to submit myself under the authority of God and his teaching? And whether that's through my pastor or my life group leader or my husband, etc. If the answer is no, as in you resist authorities over your lives, then you have no right to lead anyone else in theirs. That's just how it is. Every teacher who has ever taught, they were always first a student. And to the men here, do you know why it is so difficult in this day and age for our sisters, our women, the women here, to learn to grow and look up to their spouses, to their husbands? Because there's nothing to look up to. Because we as men have failed so many times. And we have forgotten what it meant to be led. We stop being led by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. And yet for some reason we tell our wives and we tell the women, we tell our fellow sisters in Christ, like it says, like Paul says, to submit to men and submit to men's authority and to your husband's authority. How hard is that? How can we ask them to do that if we as men are unwilling to do that with God? Does this make sense, people? So what does this verse on the qualifications of teaching have to do with our Lord and Savior? Romans 10.17 says this, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. As we've briefly gone over the power of words from teachers like ourselves, words that hold much power and power, power to destroy, but according to this verse here, You and I, as teachers, as people who can influence and lead others, we also carry the words to give life. To give life. As teachers, all of us, we have the precious duty to speak life to those who are willing to listen. I was saved 20 years ago. It's kind of shocking. By a man who simply said the most simplest of words of the gospel message, That one faithful night, he said simply, Jesus died for you. He has forgiven you of all your sins. Come, make him Lord and Savior of your life tonight. I've heard that a million times growing up in the church. But I heard it then, and it brought me to my knees. And I began to cry, and I repented. The words that he spoke, you see, gave me life. The words that you and I can speak to one another, and those especially who look up to us, you have the choice to speak words that either bring death or words that bring life. You must be select and choice with the things that you say for the very words that we speak, every every single one of them, from the moment, from today, from the day that we could speak to the day that we die, the Lord will hold us accountable. The words of Christ brought much despair to those people who were prideful and thought they had it all. I don't need you, Jesus. But his words brought much relief and freedom to those who admitted their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. Brothers and sisters, it's not enough for us to instruct people that things just might become better and say they're there, life will get better. Or that living this way will help. Or if you do these three steps like Oprah Winfrey loves to, like to bring into the conversation, then your life will be a lot more optimistic and positive and you'll have produced better things. Instead, every word we speak, every lesson we give must be gospel infected. Perhaps that's a weird way of saying it, guys. But when I think of infection, I think of complete outbreak, unable to contain influence and power. Every word you speak may give life, amen? The gospel needs to be that in our speech. The gospel needs to be that in our actions and in our lives, both as we teach and as we listen. Only the gospel of Jesus can bring restoration. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ Freedom and life everlasting is what the gospel is all about. When we speak to one another, and I end with this, when we instruct one another, will your words that you speak to the people who so look up to you, who are so easily influenced by you, will your words carry them into eternity with God or apart from him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, and I'm sure for some of us it was a, it was a bit difficult for us to swallow, and I think, Lord, if anything, it, it kind of uh, opens our eyes and our minds to the fact that maybe we've been saying a lot of careless things in our lives. We've been saying a whole lot of things that actually bring people down, that discourage, that sway, that destroy and kill, actually, the spirit of the people who look up to us and love us. And in order for us to really understand and have that understanding to share the gospel, Lord, we, we need to know the gospel. So Lord, I want to lift up at this time um, your truth. And brothers and sisters, before we go into our time of communion, can I give you guys a couple minutes just to pray that the, the freeing message of Jesus Christ, of all that he's done, that in him there is now therefore no condemnation, that your sins have all been forgiven by his shed blood and that now we can approach our Abba Father without the guilt or the shame that, once, that we once had but like a child can come to their father and know that no matter what wrongdoing that they've ever committed against their father that he will always be their father. Do you know that? That as a child of God he will always be your father. I want to encourage you guys to take a couple minutes now and just to pray and I'll lead us into another moment of prayer afterwards. But can you just pray and seek the healing, the gospel healing to come upon your life and your understanding. Let's pray. And now, as we prepare to enter into our time of the Lord's Supper or communion, this is a time of self examination for us who profess to be Christians. This is not just some gimmick that we do, this is not just a meal that we eat. But this should be, this should call for a time of great. Soberness in a moment where we heavily evaluate and judge for ourselves because we certainly don't want others to judge us. So God says, judge yourself, evaluate your own heart. How have you been doing? Where are you with me, he says. If there is a sin in your life that you're harboring, a sin that you are so unwilling to relinquish, The Lord says, give it to me now and trust in my healing. Trust in my restoration. Trust that I am good. And that will make you right. Do not overlook whatever it is in your heart. Because we need to remember that the blood that he shed was the blood to forgive us of every sin, past, present, future. And he asks us right now to let's make our heart right with him. So let me give you guys this moment to pray that prayer. And for those of you who believe that Jesus Christ is our risen Lord who died on the cross and rose after three days, to completely forgive us and to be the atonement and the accepted sacrifice. Then I want you guys to join us to the left and to the right where our ushers are that you would join me in this time of communion. Okay, so let's, get, let's take a moment just to pray. And once you're done, please come up. Father, we thank you for today. And Lord, I want to lift up the words of Christ from 1 Corinthians chapter 11:23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when his betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you, Lord, that that your son had come to die on our behalf. And it was your desire, Lord, because of your great love for us, that there was absolutely no way else, Lord, that we could be saved but by your righteousness and your humility and your great love to send your one and only to die on the cross that had our name on it. And Father, we also express our great sorrow that it was because of our sins and our rebelliousness that led to this great sacrifice on his part. But Lord, we thank you that now right here this communion It's this wonderful privilege and opportunity for us to acknowledge that we can partake in fellowship with you. And so, Lord, we desire now to partake in a way that's worthy of your great sacrifice. And we thank you, Lord, for today. You've given us this wonderful passage and this sermon and now this act of communion to really remember you May you you receive our worship. We thank you, Father, for your great love. Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross and, and rising again. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one who guarantees it all by living and by remaining active as you dwell within us. Continue to lead us, Lord, in the ways of Christ to represent him well, not only with our words, but with our actions. And for all of us, Lord, who are influencing or leading or instructing anyone, God, I pray that the powerful, life-giving gospel words would always be in our mouths, at the tip of our tongues, that we may speak and give life, not death, that we may speak and give freedom. So we thank you, Lord, we love you. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Please join me.